Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for this wonderful opportunity to delve into uh, your word, among other things. And we also want to pray that uh, you would bless this meeting, that you would speak uh, through me, and also speak to the hearts and minds uh, of, of those who are listening, and as well as to myself. And also want to pray, Lord, uh, for your guidance throughout the whole series of, of meetings at WYC in general. Be with all the speakers and, uh, and, and those who, uh, once again, the audience. We thank you, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, just really quickly as a show of hands, where is everybody from? Uh, are most of you from California? See a raise of hands. Okay, almost everybody uh, raise a hand. Where are you from? Maryland. So did you come all the way out here just for this? No, okay. Okay, perfect. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, and, and I pray that the, the program's going well. You're enjoying it and growing spiritually. Uh, praise the Lord. Well, we're going to look at, uh, first and foremost, before we even get, delve into this question of refuting uh, these claims by the atheists, against the Old Testament God or their picture of the Old Testament God. First, we're going to look at how our picture or knowledge of God is formulated in the first place. And, uh, and this is a vital and very important question. As, as Jesus himself said, eternal life, this is eternal life, John 17, 3, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So, so Jesus clearly places a connection between our knowledge of who God is and salvation. And so it's very, very important, our understanding uh, of God. Review and Herald, January 14, 1890. Ellen White says this, the whole, not just some or part, the whole, the entire spiritual life is molded by our conception of him. And if we cherish erroneous views of his character, our souls, our souls will sustain injury. That's a powerful, powerful statement by the pen of inspiration. So who is God? Who is Jesus? And uh, if you go to society, if you go to modern uh, mass media, you will find, according to Stephen Prothero, he's a, a scholar on religion, he states this, that Jesus means different things to different people in different times and places, shifting with the cultural, the political, the economic winds. Images of Jesus are about as stable as the weather in Kansas's tornado alley. How many of you experienced firsthand any of the tornadoes that just passed through? I know my, one of my cousins um, experienced the horrifying uh, events of that. In the ancient world, he was the Messiah in Jerusalem, a truth teller in Athens, and an emperor in Rome. In the United States, he has been black and white, gay and straight, liberal and conservative a capitalist and a socialist, a pacifist and a warrior, an athlete and an esthete, a civil rights agitator and a member of the Ku Klux Klan, 
Muslims embrace him as a prophet, Hindus as an avatar, and Buddhists as a bodhisattva. So when Jesus asks, who do people say I am? There is no easy answer, either in his lifetime or in ours. Now, having said that, I would hope that for you and I, we have a solid, grounded picture of who Jesus is, and that our perceptions of Jesus are not formulated by what's going on out in the world, but from a thus saith uh, the Lord. Uh, but this is uh, the confusion that we see in, in our world today. Maybe the ideal, and this is uh, Paul Copen, he, 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 as he's reflecting on, on our image of God, he has this insight. He says, maybe the ideal God in the Westerner's mind is just too nice. How many of you have read something or a passage in the Old Testament before? And you read it, and you were just like, what you did was you didn't, you couldn't make sense of it. It was just, how could God do that? All these pictures, these thoughts are entering your mind. How could God do this? How could he just wipe out or command people to wipe out uh, thousands of others? And, and you're, you're, you think about this question, it, it hits you squarely in the face, but you, then you grab those thoughts and you stick it in a book and shelve it and just and, 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 and now you have a whole library. <laughs> you know, not just a whole library, but but yeah, you know, just uh, something that you reserve to deal with later. And these are the types of thoughts that often pop up when you're sleeping at night, right? In in, in the angst of, yeah, why? Why? So maybe the ideal God in the Westerners' mind is just too nice. So we, we, we throw those thoughts away, and we just keep Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Turn the other cheek. We like that. So we'll, we'll put that in, in our home library. The other ones can go to the Library Congress, right? And we keep uh, the nice pictures of God in our home library. Whoops. We've lost sight of good and just. We've ignored sternness and severity, latching onto our own ideals of comfort and convenience. The atheist has it almost right. Humans regularly do make gods in their own images. Meaning, we say God should be like this, and so when the Bible may uh, at times contradict our own representation of who and what God should be, when the Bible itself contradicts that, then we shelve it. And so we've formulated this own uh, God in our own image. And the reason why the atheists are, are making these claims is because they're, they have this uh, accusations that go something like this. You Christians, you Christians are very good at sticking to the Matthew chapter 5 through 7 portions of Scripture that paint a picture of God as loving, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. But when it comes to the challenging and difficult texts, you simply ignore them. And, um, and, and I believe as a, as a faithful Bible-believing Seventh-day Adventist that we need to have clear and sound responses to these accusations because what they're saying is an accusation that God 
is unjust, unfair, and cruel. So we need to begin to dig deep ourselves. What this should do is not uh, make us scramble in fear and head for the exit doors, but we need to start digging deeper into God's word. So the atheist has it almost right. Humans regularly do make gods in their image, yet the biblical God isn't the kind we make up. He refuses to be manipulated by human schemes. He makes us all, including his true devotees, uncomfortable, which in the end is what we truly need to overcome our self-centeredness. So why the confusion? Well, think about where most of us get our, our picture of God or formulate our conception of God. One of the places, uh, of course, is, is in the home. And more specifically, from our parents. You know, you look at this picture here, and obviously uh, it's a picture that invites warmth. And so this child, uh, you, you could perceive, is getting a, a correct view of God because the family spending time uh, with this uh, young child. Uh, another picture where you see a nice, loving family. And, but this is not necessarily the picture that everyone uh, receives about God from, from their uh, homes and families. Um, for example, there's a lot of pain. A lot of parents abuse uh, their children. And so there are a lot of tears. There are, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of anguish. And especially in a Christian Seventh-day Adventist home, if God is made out to be arbitrary and cruel and harsh, then your picture of God can be severely skewed. Another place where we formulate our picture of God can be pop culture. And of course, these are uh, this is not a correct uh, a place where you would seek to find a picture of God, but it is a, a one of the places that you do find uh, where people are, are, are learning about God. Um, for example, Madonna singing uh, on a burning cross uh, during one of her concerts. You have Joan Osborne uh, years ago singing a song about what if God was uh, one of us. Uh, Anne Rice, a popular writer about vampire uh, novels, has turned Christian and is now writing about Christianity. And she has a certain perspective about God and the church, etc. You think of the passion of the Christ that made a sensation uh, over the, the media and the airwaves. All these uh, tend to formulate pictures of God that that uh, I would suggest are incorrect or invalid. You think of Ned Flanders uh, playing the, the Jesus freak, right? And he certainly paints a picture of Christianity that is not positive, that is negative, that is shaping the hearts and minds of young people and, and old alike. It's not just a show for, for young people, as you know. I'm sure none of you have ever watched that show, right? <laughs> um, so anyway, so pop culture is another place. What about church? We also formulate our, our picture and image of God from church and its members. Uh, you, you think of, the, uh, of a contemporary, modern uh, uh, church and, and, and a message that is sent 
uh, from a church like that. To the, on the other spectrum, the archaic, uh, conservative, formalistic, maybe rigid church uh, on the other uh, side of the spectrum. You have uh, church leaders who also paint a picture of who God is. And look at this picture here. Uh, this is clearly sending a picture or a message of who God is. Uh, here in this picture, you see this, the, the words, God hates a fag uh, enablers, or you're going to hell, or Pope in hell. That certainly sends a picture or a message about who God is. Then on the other side, you have uh, someone endorsing the fact that Christians welcome gays and, uh, and, and holding their banner uh, forward. Then you also have conspiratorial Christians, right? Uh, or pacifist uh, Christians holding up their banners. Real Christians, real Christians, don't choose war. You know, stop the 9-11 cover-up. Maybe some of you are uh, involved in that as well. Not that uh, you are. How about false and true theology? Do you think theology, doctrine is important? Absolutely. Because theology or doctrine informs us who God is. Uh, you think of the lie first told to Eve uh, by the serpent that she would not surely die. Uh, and uh, you look at uh, uh, end times, uh, you know, where people are setting dates and so forth. What does that say about God? When based on false assumptions of prophecy, you go, we go about proclaiming that God's going to come at this hour or he's in this place and it doesn't happen. Who ends up losing credibility? A lot of times it's God. What about the doctrine of eternal hellfire burning? Notice what Ellen White says. How repugnant, that's a strong word, how repugnant, this is great controversy, page 535 and 536, how repugnant to every emotion of love and mercy, and even to our sense of justice, is the doctrine that the wicked dead are tormented with fire and brimstone in an eternally burning hell. That for the sins of a brief earthly life, they are to suffer torture as long as God shall live. It is beyond, notice what she says, it is beyond the power of the human mind. We can't even conceive this. To estimate the evil which has been brought by the heresy of eternal torment. When we consider in what false colors Satan has painted the character of God through this false doctrine, mind you, can we wonder that our merciful Creator is feared, dreaded, and even hated? The appalling views of God which have spread over the world from the teachings of the pulpit have made thousands, yes millions, of skeptics and infidels. So doctrine, theology, plays a huge role in our conception of God. Also popular media. Um, I don't know how involved you are in politics, but there's a huge debate going on with re religion and God right in the center. And uh, you have those on the right, like uh, Glenn Beck, uh, those on the left, like Al Franken, uh, Ann Coulter on the right, uh, and Keith Oberman on the left, uh, Bill O'Reilly on the right, 
and uh, of course uh, Paul Krugman, a, an economist for the New York Times on the left, each painting a different view of, of who God is. You think of all the prominent Christians that exist and the picture they paint of God, from the Pope to President Barack Obama, a, 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 a professing Christian, also Sarah Palin, uh, Joel Olstein. How many of you have seen him on television uh, before? Um, President, former President George Bush, Jesse Jackson, and uh, even uh, another former president uh, in, in Bill Clinton. All of them in some way can formulate or, or shape uh, a picture of God in the minds of people. Steps of Christ, page 89, says this, We should not take the testimony of any man as to what the scriptures teach, but should study the words of God for ourselves. If we allow others to do our thinking, we shall have crippled energies and contracted uh, abilities. And so uh, how we formulate, not us as Bible-believing Christians, but how the world often formulates their picture of God is very similar to how people formulate their understanding or their perception of the American flag, right? Because the, the American flag represents not just a country, but also an idea. And how we re know God is, is through an idea, right? We have ideas of, uh, of God that are built uh, and, and um, that are construed, whether from the Bible or otherwise, that are constructed. And so in much the same way as someone in, uh, for example, a, a terrorist in the Middle East, when he sees this picture, right? Versus when you and I as Americans see this picture of the flag, we, we have different, completely opposite and different feelings about this same flag. In the very same way, when people see the words God or Jesus Christ, we have to understand that people have widely, vastly different notions of who God is based on their upbringing. And part of the mission I think the, the, the all-consuming mission of us as Seventh-day Adventists living in the end times is to represent God, the true God, to the world, because I believe that he's being mischaracterized uh, uh, today. Ellen White affirms this. She says in Christ Object Lessons, page, uh, pages 415 and 419, it is a darkness of misapprehension of God that is enshrouding the world. Men are losing their knowledge of his character. It has been misunderstood and misinterpreted. At this time, a message from God is to be proclaimed, a message illuminating in its influence and saving in its power. His character is to be made known. There is nothing, note the words here, there is nothing that Christ desires so much. You want to do that? Whatever he's desiring? There's nothing that Christ desires so much as agents who will represent to the world his spirit and character. Again, there is nothing that the world needs. So it, he desires this, but also the world needs Nothing, more, uh, nothing as much as the manifestation 
uh, through humanity of the Savior's love. And, um, and, and, and so the purpose, uh, the reason why we're, this is kind of the intro to the, this segment of the Old Testament God and some of the attacks that are being made, it should be our goal and purpose as we study Scripture and specifically the Old Testament to, to try and make sense uh, of, of these things and, uh, and to dig deep. Now, I, I just want to uh, also speak real quickly about uh, correct means or correct ways of, of formulating uh, truth and our knowledge of God. And one of them, the technical word here is called general revelation. We should and we need to formulate a conception of God through general, uh, general revelation, not the media, not necessarily through the church or some pastor or, uh, or some lyrics in a song or some Fox uh, television show, uh, uh, Bart Simpson. No, we need to go to where scripture says we need to obtain a knowledge of God. And, and one of them uh, is general revelation. And I'll explain uh, what that is. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 puts it this way. Speaking of uh, the judgment of God uh, towards the Gentiles, and Paul is here attempting to make a case that he can, that God can legitimately judge uh, the Gentiles. Uh, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it uh, to them. And, and it's, we're going to see here that it's, it's through nature. Verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Right? So there's a, a component of observation. Uh, you have nature, creation, you have our, our interaction with nature as we observe nature, Paul is saying. And then as we not just observe, as we seek to understand, as we reason uh, with our minds, uh, the, the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, uh, so that they are without excuse. So uh, what he's uh, stating here is that is that even the Gentile world has no excuse because they have, a na have nature that informs or uh, tells or paints a picture of the truth of God, even as Godhead. So that uh, this, and as they observe these things, they understand these things. And so general revelation, how many of you have uh, been out in nature and you just get a sense uh, of God? or a picture of God. How many of you have looked out into the stars before and just said, wow, God? I mean, what comes to mind? God is a big God, and Andy M. is a very small, small man, right? That's the picture you get, uh, that God is big, that I am small. And, and, and that's just one small uh, uh, picture that we can get from God. When you delve deeper, you see a God who is organized, who is structured, uh, who is 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 vastly smarter than than you are, you and I. 
So general revelation is that revelation as, uh, as uh, distinguished from special revelation, uh, and it pertains to anything in nature uh, that, that informs us about who God is as we interact with our reason and our minds. But there are some limitations to general revelation, right? As you go out in nature, can you, can you or I just go out in nature and look at the stars and begin to write the Bible and, and paint a full picture of who God is? No, that's, that's impossible. So there are some limitations in that sense, but there's also limitations due to the fact that the way we interpret these facts may be skewed based on our fallen human nature. We tend to interpret things on the basis of who we are and what we are and not on the basis of who God is. And uh, so there are some limitations, uh, as I mentioned. And so, uh, so we don't always see things clearly. As you see in this picture here, right? Some of you may see an, an old lady, and some of you may see a young lady, right? We don't always see the same picture. Do you, are you, do you see that? And so, uh, so our conception of who God is may be wrong based on uh, faulty assumptions and, and human nature. Uh, when we look in the mirror, this cat here looking in the mirror, he likes to think that he's that lion, but in reality, he's not. And uh, this, this is probably me. I always, I always uh, you know, we always look at the mirror and we, we look at what? Our imperfections, right? Uh, more than uh, being objective about, about what we look like. And, and nowhere greater is this seen as when we get on the scale. And this Harvard uh, uh, psychologist, Daniel Gilbert, notice his insightful words here. He says this, when our bathroom scale delivers bad news, we hop off and then on again. Just to make sure we didn't misread the display or put too much pressure on one foot. Have you ever done that before? When our scale delivers good news, we smile and we head for the shower. By uncritically accepting evidence when it pleases us and insisting on more when it doesn't, we subtly tip the scales in our favor. And that's what human nature does. We want to paint a picture of God that is acceptable to me, that fits the, the scale that I would like. I don't like reading those passages in the spirit of prophecy that tell me things that are not pleasing to my senses. And so we end up skewing what's uh, objective truth. Finally, he says this, research suggests that the way we weigh ourselves in the bathroom is the way we weigh evidence outside of it. And this also uh, pertains to, to truth and God as well. Corinthians puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. But the natural man, and notice the key word here is natural, the natural man 
does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are what? Because they're spiritually discerned. So the atheist, at some level, will never be able to understand some of the things found in the Old Testament because he does not have the perspective, the, the glasses, the eyeglasses of spiritual reality or spiritual perceptions. He's an unconverted man. And so that's something uh, to keep in mind as we will uh, address later. So some other limit, uh, Carl Henry says this, sin and corruption in fallen human life frustrate the natural morality in man. How many of you wake up and find yourself without having devotions that you can go throughout the day and naturally just be good spiritually? Right? Someone smacks you in the face, someone steps on your pride, and your natural response is, I'll turn the other cheek because I love you. No, that does not happen, uh, right? And, 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 and this is the, the very point that is being made here. Because of moral rebellion, man suffers moral distortion. This distortion of moral content in man is so severe that the surviving content is no longer serviceable. It is impossible to arrive at an absolute distinction between what is right and wrong from observation of human experience alone. You know, even for unfallen humanity, Eve still needed special revelation, meaning direct commands of God to inform her what is good and what is not, even in an unfallen state. An example of that is she would never have known not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil unless God told her. Her, her pure nature in and of itself would not inform her of that reality, of that truth. How much more as fallen human beings do we need uh, the scriptures and the voice of God to inform us of, of, of truth and error and to distinguish between them? Moving forward, whenever man systematizes it, he distorts it because the mind is in the service of a, of a morally rebellious will. Pride and rebellion color his speculative reconstruction of the moral claims of God's uh, image. This is why Ellen White says this. this. This is a powerful, how many of you, uh, this is a powerful quote, how many of you have preached a sermon before? And I would say probably most of your hands have one time got up and, and preached a sermon or a Bible study of some kind. Notice what Ellen White says. And this is along the lines of, of yes, we may read the Bible, we may observe nature, and yet not have the, the right perspective, the right interpretation of, of these things. Notice what she says. She says, young ministers may speak the truth fluently and yet have no real sense of the words they utter. No real words, no real sense of the words. They're just preaching to hear the amen. They're just preaching to become popular and yet have no real sense uh, of the, the depth of those words. So why is having a knowledge of God so important? We looked at this text earlier, John 17, 3. Our eternal life is, is uh, based upon it. 
And this is eternal life, or is equatable to it at the very least, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Also the first and second commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt not make unto thee any graven or carved images. Uh, we often look at these texts and we just purely see them as, I'm not breaking that because I'm not creating models and images of God and I'm not bowing down to them. Today, what we're carving are not physical objects, we're carving ideas, notions of God that are absolutely invalid and, in, and unbiblical and therefore incorrect. And so you can break the first and second commandments by painting a picture of God that is not the true God through an idea or conception of you, that you have of God that is false. And in this way, we construct, we make unto ourselves carved or painted uh, imaginary images of who God is. And when that happens, remember that initial quote we read? What happens when we have a false misconception uh, uh, or, or misconception of who God is? It is detrimental to the soul. It, it shapes our whole spiritual experience. And that's the next point that I want to make. Having the correct um, view of who God is will determine, or, or false one, or just the fact uh, of having uh, any type of, of conception of God will determine how you are going to react or relate or experience who God is. It's so important to get it right because your whole experience is going to be shaped on, on, on that one fact. Let me give you an example. Here is a picture of a dog. And just imagine with me that we'll call him Fido, right? Fido has been abused. Day after day after day, abused. And um, that's all he knows of human beings, is being hit and scarred and tortured. And so one day, uh, the Humane Society rescues Fido, and he goes into this shelter, and after some time, he's ready for ad adoption. And as that, as that young family picks up the dog and, and takes him home, the first thing they're gonna do is they're going to reach out in a gesture of love to that dog. And how do you think that dog is going to react to that gesture of love? That's right. He's going to be fearful. He's going to wince because that's all he knows of human beings. And in the same way, if our picture of who God is is skewed, if we see God as vindictive, as arbitrary, right, who's out to get you, then even when God reaches out in love, as he gestures forth in love, he's going to wince and react uh, as though the hand reaching out is a hostile one. And, uh, and so your whole experience is shaped by your image of who God is. It's that important. So how do we obtain a knowledge of the true God? 
Ellen White says in Steps of Christ, page 85, many, many are the ways in which God is seeking to make himself known to us and bring us into communion with him. He does it through nature. We already looked at this. And nature speaks to our senses without ceasing. The open heart will be impressed with the love and glory of God as revealed through the works of his hands. The listening ear can hear and understand the communications of God through the things of nature. We also learn of God through providence, experience, and, and our surroundings. Ellen White has this to say in the same book, uh, Steps Christ, page 87. God speaks to us through his providential workings. In our circumstances and surroundings, in the changes daily taking place around us, we may find precious lessons if our hearts are but open to discern them. In Acts of the Apostles, page 287, and this is the one caveat before I go there. Experiences is good, and it's a great way that God, uh, a great a tool that God uses to teach us about Him, but we have to be careful with experience because it's subject to interpretation. And as we noticed before, our interpretations could be wrong. Ellen White says, impressions alone are not a safe guide. The enemy often persuades men to believe that it is God who is guiding them, when in reality they are following human impulse. How many of you have, have at one point in your life said, this is such a God thing. God is leading me. And then two years later you realize that that was you and not God. Yeah. Right? Because it, it was just disastrous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you often see that in, in relationships. <laughs> right? Sad, sad to say I've been in a plethora of uh, I should say plethora, but a handful <laughs> of relationships where I just said, you know, Lord, I know you're leading me. I just know because I feel it. I feel it in my heart. And then you're just absolutely flat out wrong. And uh, you have to walk away in shame and say, yeah, my parents were right. That wasn't a good call. So, um, but anyway, uh, so impressions, we've got to be careful about that. Holy Spirit, never should the Bible be studied without prayer. Before opening this page, we should ask for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, and it will be given. What about Scripture? God speaks to us in His Word. Here, we have in clear lines a revelation of His character, of His dealings with men, and the great work of redemption. In clearer lines than anywhere else, uh, Scripture informs us of, of who God is. Sanctification. Did you know that sanctification also informs you better as you grow and become more like God in character? That also results in you knowing God better. Let me explain. So what, you know, Jesus said that the pure in heart will see God. And oftentimes when we, we interpret this passage that the, that the pure in heart will see God, we kind of look at, interpret that, uh, interpret that passage as occurring at the end of time. Because I've been pure, I'm going to see God when he comes. Correct? But Ellen White puts a different spin on it. And she says this. She says only, and this is in the context of the pure in heart seeing God. In Mount of Blessings, page uh, 25 and 27, she says this, Only like 
can appreciate like. How many of you have gone through some hard turmoil or experience and, and you, you relay your burdens to a friend, but it doesn't satisfy you because they just don't get what you're going through, right? Ellen White says only like can appreciate like unless you accept in your own life the principle of self-sacrificing love, which is the principle of his character. Notice what, these are strong words. You cannot know God, period. You cannot know God until you accept in your own life the principle of self-sacrificing love. We discern the truth. We discern the truth by becoming ourselves partakers of the divine nature. Let me help uh, illustrate this. This principle of only like can appreciate like. That as I become more like, as he, more like God, as He changes my character, and as I grow in this sense, I begin to even grow. Uh, this leads me to grow in my understanding of who God is. Uh, my mom used to, uh, w- uh, when we, whenever we visit home, our whole family, and uh, every morning, how many of you enjoy freshly squeezed orange juice made just like right out of the squisher? I don't even know what you call it. Uh, you know those machines or the contraptions where you stick a half of an orange down on it, and it spins electronically, and, and it funnels the juice out? Well, my mom would do that in the mornings, every morning. I'd wake up, and there'd be a, a tall glass of freshly squeezed oranges with the bits of pulp in it, you know, that this is fascinating stuff, right? And so, great stuff. And so I'd wake up, and it'd be right there, and it'd just bring a smile to my face as I'd gulp that thing down. And, you know, I, I appreciated my mom for that. I loved her for that. I mean, you could, I could make a strong case that it, it, it uh, brought out affection for my mother. Then one morning, but, it, but it, it's limited, because one morning my mom couldn't do it because she was busy doing other stuff, so I was asked to f- squeeze that orange juice, you know, for all like 10 family members. So as I was squeezing this orange juice, and as my muscles started getting tired, right, And as I was going through this experience, I began to see my mother in an entirely different way because I began to understand what she went through each and every morning for me. So that when we began to live as Christ did, sacrificing, living for others more than ourselves, and then we read passages in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, our eyes are open to the true greatness, the, the true greatness of the character of God. Because you and I as fallen creatures who are nobodies, we think we're sacrificing when we do these little small tasks of sacrifice for others. But then when we see God who was God, the God that you feel when you look out at the stars, that God came down to squeeze orange juice, if you will, for you and I, then is awakened in our heart this concept of like, 
beginning to appreciate like. So that as we are increasing in our repentance, as it was talked about earlier, and in our sanctification, we begin to grow in our love towards God. Sanctification is not legalism. If understood correctly, it's empowering in the sense that it helps us to understand love that much more. Finally, did you know that health, living a healthful life also helps us uh, to understand God better? You may be thinking, what does health have anything to do with my understanding of God? Well, it does. Uh, and, uh, and this is the reason why. The only organ by which and through which God can communicate with you and I is what? Is our brain. And how we live our lives determines, determines how efficient and how useful our brains are to us. And so if you read here, Ellen White says this, since the mind and the soul find expression through the body, both mental and spiritual vigor are in a great degree dependent upon physical strength and activity. Whatever promotes physical health promotes the development of a strong mind and a well-balanced character. Without health, no one, nobody, can as distinctly understand or as completely fulfill his obligations to himself, to his fellow beings, or to his creator. Therefore, the health should be as faithfully guarded as the character. And by the way, health and the health message, it's not the end. It's not the goal we're seeking. The goal and the end we're seeking is Jesus Christ. But if we want to understand Jesus much better, then health becomes a part of that process. And we need to understand the health message in this context. Because many times, we uh, as conservative Adventists are guilty of making health the end and not the means. And when we understand it in this relation, living the health message will not be interpreted as legalism, but as a means to helping us to experience and taste and enjoy Jesus Christ and our Father that much better through the Holy Spirit. All this to say, as we conclude, that we've looked at correct ways of, of, of formulating our conception and our perceptions of God. We've looked at some wrong ways of doing that. Now we're going to look at the specific attacks in our next meeting uh, 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 of how the new atheists are painting a picture of God to, to the masses because they're vocalizing this, they're, they're militant about this. And uh, their claims against God, the Old Testament God, need to be addressed by Seventh-day Adventists much more than it is. So that's going to be our next uh, presentation. Um, we, we're going to end uh, 10 minutes early, looks like, because the next meeting starts at 11, if I'm not mistaken. And this one is supposed to go, I believe, to uh, 1045. Is that right? Uh, I'm looking at Cosman as he's... Uh, one of the um, leaders, and he's also looking for his notes. So we'll have word in a second. Is that right? 
Okay, so let's go ahead and end with a, a word of prayer. And uh, what I'm thinking, uh, no, actually I better scratch that idea. I was going to say let's just start a little earlier and end earlier, but there may be others who are coming uh, that uh, will be attending for the first time. So we'll stick with 11. You have about a 25-minute break, and so uh, hopefully you still feel like you're getting your money's worth uh, out of WIC. Let's go ahead and bow our heads uh, for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us the Word of God that clearly informs us uh, of who you are and how we are to worship you, how we are to relate to you. And we pray, Lord, um, that you will continue to teach us because our, our picture of who you are is not complete. And in some ways, it'll never be completed. But at the very least, we may have some misconceptions. We may, be ha we may have ideas of who you are that are, are faulty, that we've picked up along the way uh, through society or uh, some pastor or some church member that may have misrepresented you or, or, and that we may have misrepresented to others. We pray, Lord, that you would assist us and help us and guide us to, be, to being a, a, a pure, a clear reflection of who you are in our own lives. We thank you, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org